but I think anyone else would oh, have divorced. In the first, yeah, well, rapidly, and rapidly. Um, because, you know, we don't see each other. We're on call every third night. We're coming and going. I was still anorexic, bulimic, depressed, hated what I was doing, um, had all these expectations of what a husband should do. I've been on my own since I was 17. Tim came from a different family environment. I was like a new sort of more new you, to my. Are you trying to say that I was nursed till I was twenty-five? Pretty much, and you know, I'm like I, I'm not, I'm not going to fulfill those needs. <laughs> Sorry. I just thought you went from one breast to the other. So it, it was, it was I mean, it's not that. We laugh hard. about it now, but it sucked. What makes you in a relationship? What makes you even in you know career and all these things, is the hard part, not the easy part. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. Before we get into the show, here's a quick message from MR Insurance, a small business that helps physicians with their disability insurance needs. Michael L. Relvas is a CFP professional and insurance agent committed to helping physicians nationwide with their term life and disability insurance needs. He provides an objective, transparent, and education-focused process that aims to help physicians make more prudent decisions and avoid overcomplicating things. He exclusively offers own occupation disability insurance policies for residents, fellows, and attending physicians. We know he'd be happy to help you with whatever your needs are. You can find Michael at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash MR insurance or contact him at 800-817-4522. I hope you guys had a happy Mother's Day this weekend. Whether you are a mother, married to a mother, have a mother, or are going to be a mother someday, happy belated Thursday, if you didn't hear me last week. And I would just like to offer once again, if you are interested in tangible, actionable steps to add more romance into your marriage, reach out to me now. Go to medicinemarriageandmoney.com and sign up for a free 45-minute consult call, a discovery call with me to get personalized, actionable steps to add more romance to your relationship. Please help me welcome our guests on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Drs. May and Tim Hindmarsh. Drs. Tim and May Hindmarsh are both board-certified family practice physicians born and raised in Canada. They married four days after graduating medical school and have been sweethearts for 29 years. They enjoy travel, crazy athletic activities, and are currently entering the next phase of life as empty nesters. I met the Hindmarshes through our Doctor Podcast Network, where they just began their journey as podcasters with the release of BS Free MD. Welcome, Doctors Tim and May. Hey, th- <laughs> I love it. I love the fanfare. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, we're super excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about you guys. Well, okay, to start way back, I was uh, born at an early age. Uh, I- <laughs> oh my. Now, I, uh, I grew up in a medical family. My, my father graduated from medical school in 1958. 
And we're almost, I mean, there was almost no specialties, especially where we lived in Canada. And so we actually practiced family practice and ended up having an anesthesia career before there was even anesthesia residency. So I grew up with a real wide variety of, you know, exposure to healthcare. I mean, he would do over 300 deliveries a year, do his own appendectomies on his patients. He even diagnosed a pheochromocytoma in his office and did the anesthesia for that patient as a family doctor. So imagine that, right? I mean, that would be like quaternary level hospitalization at this point. So things have changed a lot. So I grew up with that. And so my goal from a career perspective was always to be in a rural area where I got to do have a similar practice. You know, we started practice in 94, worked for a short period of time in Canada and then moved down here. For me personally, as far as where we lived was the, the two most important things. Number one, you know, a stable rural practice where you could do kind of a little bit of everything. I did obstetrics for 12 years. We did death investigations. We worked in the ICU, um, did that for actually a really long time. I did hospitalist work for a while and then transmission uh, trans, transferred to urgent care in 2013. So that part was important. But other than that, really, all I cared about was geography. And sports. Do a lot of skiing. You're not talking about your true love. A lot of windsurfing. And so to be able to be in the Northwest, close to the gorge, you know, rode motorcycles for years and years in the sand dunes, you know, that was critically important for me. And so that kind of what brought us down here. I used to live in Whistler, so, you know, skied 100 days a year back in the 80s and stuff like that. So that was really a big motivator to be in the Pacific Northwest. And plus, it was sort of close to family. Not really, but close enough, like closer driving distance at least. So that that's kind of the nutshell of. Oh, where are you now in the Pacific Northwest? We're in we're in rural Oregon. We live between we live just north of Eugene, so about eighty miles south of Portland on the I five corridor. Man, that's fascinating. He's a surgeon. He was a surgeon. Took out appendixes, babies, and his anesthesia. Oh my gosh! So yeah, you wanted to be just like him, huh? In some respects, absolutely. For sure, career-wise and community involvement-wise, you know, he's on the public school board of our city of about 250,000 people for 25 years and, and that kind of thing. Um, he wasn't really into the sports stuff or, uh, you know, I'm much more of a high sensation seeker. So you know, I have 600 skydives, you know, probably the pl- place I find peace the fastest is on a motorcycle. You know, so to be able to live in a place where it wasn't 40 below for half the year was kind of important for me. It is literally 40 below right now where we grew up. And then what about you, May? What about me? Oh, man. Okay, the Coles or Sparks Note version, what the, whatever, the, I'll get the Canadian and American thing mixed up. Forgive me. The Coles Note, Sparks Note version of my life. I grew up in northern Canada in the, like, the boonies, the, the bush. My dad was a bush pilot. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Just a sort of middle, very simple middle-class family. No one in my family went to university. I had some aunts that were actually nurses, but, I, you know, that was sort of far off. I wasn't close with them. I wanted to be a doctor from when I was like 10, and then the needle was sunk actually in my family. So then it was like, yes, you have to be a doctor. You're our little doctor. There's a whole lot of baggage and story that goes along with that. But needless to say, I was out of the house at 17. I graduated from high school. Went to university and had a very long and convoluted medical journey, but eventually ended up in Tim's class, and that's how we met. Yeah, tell, tell me about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, let's see. I won't get into 
the whole story about my in and out of medical school. There was like a lot of stuff, but we, I ended up in Tim's class. I actually dropped out of med school for a while and ended up back in going, getting back into medical school and was in Tim's class. And so we were friends in school. We sat together side by side in lecture, just, I think, coincidentally at first, honestly, and we just kind of picked the same spot. And I had a great time because he always made lectures fun because he's got such a great sense of humor. I was always cracking jokes because you know how lectures can be, right? Some of that stuff is so dry and boring. And so he made it fun and entertaining. He had a lot of humor. Exactly. And I'm like, this is fun because a lot of the stuff, actually some of the classes were repeats from what I took before. And I'm like, you know, like this is terrible. So it was great. We were uh, really good friends. And then actually we found out that, you know, we had a lot of common interests and started doing some rock climbing together. We, uh, I can't remember who it was. It was you and a friend of ours that built this rock climbing wall in the basement of the hospital. There was this basement room. And so we would go there and do some free climbing and that was super fun. And then we actually did a couple, we did a trip out to Alberta and did some rock climbing. Remember that? And anyway, got to be really good friends. But then as the year went on, I started to really like him more than a friend. I, Tim and I don't think had that same mutual feeling at the beginning. I can't speak I think you. stalker. <laughs> okay, so here's the story. So what happened was, yes, my feelings were beginning to deepen with this funny, young, handsome fellow. And oh, how times have changed. What happened was, so we had the little little art groups in medicine where we would do our rotations and we were I was in a group of there was I think five of us I was the only female we were doing our pediatric rotation and we were going outside of the university setting actually across the street was a school for special needs kids and so part of our rotation was going over there and seeing the kids you know that had different needs and doing these site visits and so on the way when we were doing this for quite a few weeks we passed by this house where Tim parked his truck. So he lived in town and he commuted and that's where he got to park at this lady's house. And so every time we'd go by it, we'd recognize it. And I said to the guys, hey, we should like do something to his vehicle, like not nasty, but put some notes on there and just, just anonymously. And at the beginning, they were like, oh yeah, whatever. You know, they were all for it, but then they kind of forgot about it. And so I kept doing it and started writing these little notes. Like I see you every day. And we, you know, you're really cute. And who are you? So they became these little love notes and the guys forgot about it. And Tim starts getting these things and bringing them back to the hub where we, all the students, med students were meeting at lunch. And he was sharing this with our group of friends. He's like, look at this. There's somebody stalking me. And he would read these. Well, I started to create these more elaborate poems. And then it kind of continued for quite a few months. Instead of after that rotation, I would put them like in his locker and various places. And I would write more elaborate poetry and he would bring these things back. And he's like, I can't, I'm trying to figure it out. And I would sit there with the group of us girls and guys and they were trying to decipher who it might be. And finally I thought, I'm going to try to play this out till Valentine's Day because it was getting close. And so I thought, eh, I'm going to just keep writing these, these poems and dropping kind of hints about myself. But they were deciphered you know, see if he could decipher them, but he couldn't. And I was going to let him know on Valentine's Day that it was really me. Well, long story short, we he figured it out ahead of time. And we were going to a, a concert at church at his, his, 
your friends invited us to go, this other couple. And he picked me up and then brought me back home after the concert. And he's like, oh, so I think I figured out who it is. And I, I thought, eh, there's no way he really knows who it is. He's probably in love with somebody else. And I have this, you know, I'm just drooling over this guy and he's in love with somebody else now because he's figured it out. And anyway, he was like, yeah, I think it's you. And we made out and that was the end of the story. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So he, he, he had some infatuation for you as well. Well, what happened? How did you figure it out, Tim? Well, it was actually, honestly, it was really difficult for me because I was so committed to the fact that I was going to stay married to the, for the rest of my life that I had kind of this misguided concept of, well, then she needs to be absolutely perfect. No, because, but how did you figure out it was me that was writing all the notes? I, I, it was nobody else. <laughs> oh, stop. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that. Like, it was just the, we're power, such, we're the such power good, of deduction. Well, we're like, such mm, good. I mean, we're such yeah. good friends that we would, you know, talk on the phone for an hour every day and see each other at school and so forth. So, yeah. you know, eventually it just kind of would have to be completely. That it, part of the story I left out is that actually, yeah, we would go home from school and then later on in the evening when we were studying, we would call each other and we would talk about the lectures or things and just talk about life and just have these big discussions as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that that I mean, the the friendship part was clearly an enormous deal. I mean, I can't I can't imagine building a relationship with somebody that really needs to be your partner, especially when it's a partnership in so many different ways. You know, obviously the medic there's a medical side to it, but you know, financially raising kids, et cetera, et cetera. With without that, like that, I mean, that was that was totally it. So long. I mean, the whole year just sitting together in class, doing things together, the phone conversations. I mean, we really built a really great, solid friendship. And first, you know, the cute little story of me sort of falling in love with him and then being the one that did this fun, you know, secret stalker thing that we laugh about and call it now was the one thing. But really, we had, I mean, that basis of friendship and understanding and you know, mutual interests and beliefs was like a big part of it, obviously. Yeah, so. but if you become that good of friends with me, anyone would follow me. So eventually <laughs> there was only one decision on one branch on the decision tree. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for everybody about how I had to drag you down the aisle. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. That we, we, we were getting to the point where we were getting to the end of medical school and, you know, had, we're coming up with match time, right. For residency. So then it's crunch time because as everybody knows, and even back then, cause it was what, 27 years ago when we, were finishing it was this, it would just started where the match was a new thing i mean it had been come into play and it was like we were either going to go the same place or have this long di distance relationship which is really not going to be well feasible. yeah so it, it was kind of an ultimatum in a way i said well what's going to happen we got to make a decision yeah you know and for me it was really the, the hard part i mean i think everybody has expectations going into a, a long-term relationship that are incorrect and you just have to figure out what's correct and what's incorrect and you know, the epiphany for me is like, I had all these doubts. I'm like, well, you know, what about this? And what about that? And how's it going? I mean, because you just don't know, like, you never can know enough. Like, there's a point where, you know, the parachute's on your back and the doors open, and you just have to trust your training and and go for it, you know, and you know, so much of practicing medicines like that, you know, the whole imposter syndrome, the whole first, you know, usually four to five years of practice for people, you feel like you're pretending. And so I remember I had this conversation, and it was absolutely spectacular. Spectacular. You want to talk about amazing parents. I, you know, I, you know, we were already engaged and we we're going to, our engagement was very short. It was like four months. And, you know, I said to my parents, I said, man, you know, like I have some doubts, 
And my dad goes, like, why? And my mother was just horrified. She has this horrified look on her face. And she's like, you think you could do better? And I'm like, well, yeah. And my dad's like, of course you could. But May could do a lot better, too. And I was just like, well, yeah. I mean, you're not buying a car. You're in a relationship. And it's entirely different. And there's a point where, like, for me and how my brain worked, it was like, okay, is all the things that matter, are they enough? You know? And the really super important stuff to me, honestly, was that we had similar beliefs, you know, spiritually and as far as how many kids we wanted and those sort of things and, and, and intellect. I mean, nothing, honestly, is less attractive to me than somebody that I couldn't have kind of a equal conversation with. Um, and so, you know, once you kind of figure out that all the really big, important stuff is, you know, way more than enough or then it was just like, you know, you're just being an idiot at that point. I mean, I just felt like I was just kind of being stupid and selfish. Plus his, his mom probably wanted him out of the house at that point. Well, yeah. <laughs> Until later we had a conversation when she was in her eighties and she apologized because she did everything she could to make sure I never left. So that's another entire conversation. <laughs> so, so in, so the spiritual beliefs, how many kids you guys wanted and the intellect, that's kind of what sealed the deal. Well, I don't know that we, well, I'm not really ugly. Like, not ugly is important. Oh, brother. <laughs> I'm not ugly. You know, under 300 pounds. You know, there's, you know, I still have st other standards, of course. I think, yeah, the kids part, we didn't really delve into a whole lot. I don't remember that because for me, it wasn't ever a big priority as much as you, which we kind of got into more later, honestly. But yeah, I would say definitely the for us, the foundation of our, our lives and our belief system was our spiritual faith, but also someone who's on the same plane, you know, yes, physically attractive on the same plane, emotionally intelligent, but also the same life path, right? Going this, this on the same bus or train or whatever you want to get it, call it. So. Well, and it was interesting because medical school is like that. I had a conversation with a really good friend of mine when I was dating and the, actually the last woman I dated before May. And he said, here's the deal. He's like, your life is like a freight train going 60 miles an hour. It's on the tracks. It's going west. And she's not sure where she wants to go. So like, it just can't work. You know, and once you're locked into medical school and residency and all these things, I mean, your life is really mapped out for you for, you know, it's almost like the military. I mean, this is where you're going to be for, you know, at least the next four or five years. And so, and, and then to try to find somebody, I mean, I think it'd be very, I, I think a lot of the reason why so many medical marriages actually seem to work is because you really get the other person in a way that is, I would think would be really difficult. Like my, you know. It was, I, I, absolutely. Like in our class, our medical school class was is small by standards. I mean, there's 60 people. And there was how many couples out of that? Well, 10% of the class 10 married of the each class, other. Yes. And, and there and I don't and there and was no mystery why when you think about right the struggles. I mean, you know that you're going through in med school and the time commitment and the relationships that you develop with your classmates and I mean, you only have time really so much time for that. I so, think other than one couple, all of those couples are still married. Yeah. That was 1992. No, but 10%, what, that's six people? Yeah. There was, was it six or was it 20%? Was it six couples? Three couples? No, that's how many six people? people defected from Canada and moved to the U.S. Yeah. It was, uh, it, there was three couples. And they all got, we all got married right around the same time. And, and you've been married for 29 years. So what, like, and, you know, are you still on that same freight train that's going 60 miles an hour west? No, now uh, it's going east because I think we're going to move to Florida. <laughs> oh, God. no, we, I mean, our because like, what, 
what's held you together for the past 29 years? What's the single most important thing that's made your marriage successful? Well, first off, you know, the one part of the back of the story, jumping back a little bit, I like to say is it sounded like all aligned and perfect, but Tim was kind of also my knight in shining armor that came to rescue me from a lot of issues and troubles and personal struggles I was having. So, you know, we talk about having this perfect foundation and stuff, but also I had this false, you know, need for someone to come and save me from myself and things. And so during the first part of our marriage to where we are now has been totally different, a crazy journey. I would say though, so there's some great stories in there from like literally when we went and did our internship year and residency where we were like ships passing in the wind. And, you know, my sister moved in with us six months into it, who was undiagnosed bipolar and basically like a Garfield living in our house. And then there was issues with our marriage. If we hadn't had our faith, we, I mean, we would, I think anyone else would have divorced. In the first, yeah, well, rapidly, rapidly. um, Because, you know, we don't see each other. We're on call every third night. We're coming and going. I was still anorexic, bulimic, depressed, hated what I was doing, um, had all these expectations of what a husband should do. I'd been on my own since I was 17. Tim came from a different family environment. I was like a new sort of more new to my Are you trying to say that I was nursed till I was 25? Pretty much. And, you know, I'm like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to fulfill those needs. <laughs> Sorry. I just thought you went from one breast to the other. So it, it was, it, I mean, it's not that I laugh hard. about it now, but it sucked. It was horrible. Well, was, and I think what makes you, so, if, to, to answer that question, I think there's, her question, we, yeah, yeah, we'll go to, we'll go to, we can go to a couple more examples, but I think what makes you, what makes you in a relationship, what makes you even in, you know, a career and all these things is the hard part, not the easy part. I mean, you know, it's the difficulties that you find out what you're made of. And there was a couple like big sort of expectation things that we both had to deal with and overcome to really understand what it was to, to, to really be like the team, the partners that we became. But the undergirding concept of that was that the relationship was always bigger than either partner. Yeah. So, so the sum of the parts was definitely, you know, bigger than the individual parts. And so, you know, I always looked at the marriage as being something that was bigger than me and that was bigger than May, you know, and especially as we went into raising kids, it's like, okay, you know, now you have these other people that are dependent on you. And, you know, I'd heard, we'd heard a lot of, you know, different seminars and so forth where the most important relationship to your kids is your marriage. And I, I, I firmly believe that when they see how grownups relate, when they see, con- I mean, one of the greatest things you can do for kids is to model constructive conflict, you know, that that conflict doesn't end in divorce. Conflict can build your relationship. Conflict can be resolved. And, you know, how you model that obviously is different as, as your kids get older and how you communicate with them. But I mean, I think really that that was for me, the biggest thing was, and I, you know, I I think May agrees is that the relationship was always bigger. Like it's a, I mean, you can define it as a partnership, you know, but we're both in it together and this partnership this marriage is is the most important thing and whatever it takes i mean we put that first absolutely and then the next thing really was well i think how you get there i think how you get there though is there's definitely tools to get you to the point where you go the relationship's bigger than either partner and i think how you do that is what you focus on you know the whole concept of what you focus on you become 
and you know we had a we had a book we did in one you know small group that we were in which was his needs her needs and really just is just communicating what you need oh his needs her needs by willard harley jr yeah and so basically the the this book his concept is how to affair proof your marriage and he had done marriage counseling for years and years and counseled through tons of people through infidelity and he was like what what is the common thread when there's infidelity now there's people that are just cheaters and generally the cheating kind just keep cheating but people that are actually trying to stay married and then something happens and they slip up which was is probably more common and, and he's like the bottom line the only reason people look for the grass that's greener on the other side of the fence is because they're not getting their needs met at home and so he, he narrows this down to what I, I forget what it is like six or seven needs each for men and women and when you figure that out it's amazing because I, as a man, might be doing something that I think is the most loving, caring thing for May, and she doesn't care about it. Like, I really like cars. So I might be out there washing her car because I really love her, because that would be important to me. And if, she, if it doesn't mean anything to her, then, then I'm actually making it worse because now I'm absent from her, not giving to her to what, what she needs. And you just have to communicate it, you know? And it was fascinating. It's, it's pretty much the other one that we did because we've done some marriage groups too that it, uh, people have heard of. And I know some of your guests on the show have mentioned before is the the Five Love Languages book by, that's Gary Chapman, right? I believe, which is also, I mean, this has, it's pretty much similar when you go through the questionnaire as far as the needs. This, I think there's seven in this one, but Five Love Languages also is like the top of the list as well, because Sometimes you don't even, I mean, I didn't even really un know what my love language was. It was just like, well, can't you figure it out? You should be able to, I mean, well, I not that if you can't figure it out. Right. It's like, well, you should be able to figure out what I need. Right. So this is, those two books are just like, are huge. And I would recommend everybody read them because A, for figuring out yourself and getting to know yourself what you need so that you can communicate that to your partner, but then also how you can meet their needs. I mean, it's, well, it's huge. Yeah, the bottom line is, is that most, you know, most of staying married and being happy is just practical stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's really practical stuff. And so, you know, we had a couple, you know, we had a couple real kind of, uh, you know, I'm not really a crisis, but, you know, like the time we came back from the Boston Marathon and you were pregnant and we were living, we were literally living in a trailer on our property because our house was getting rebuilt. Um, we did this gigantic remodel. I think May delivered our son, our second child, like two weeks before we moved back into the house. So we lived in all these different places. So I was pregnant. He was born. Our son, and we had a toddler. She was like eighteen months. Eight, at the eight, time. Eighteen months. So we had. And we lived like vagabonds, from like in in a trailer, and we house sat, and then we lived in the resident apartment for a while, while this is all going on, and I I'd had enough. Yeah, so it was it was fascinating because with everybody. I mean, it was it was amazing. So so we I ran the Boston Marathon that year, which was ninety nine. So that's what the second week of April or something like that. And our son was born September first. So just to kind of give you a concept of where we were, and I'm getting ready to go to work. I'm sitting in this, you know, trailer, and uh, she just looks at me and and I'm like literally walking out the door to go see like thirty five patients that day, and she's like, I don't think I love you anymore. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And I, not very nice timing, right? And and, and I'm like, I, I go into full Tina Turner mode at that point, and I'm I'm singing to myself, you know, what's love got to do with it? Got to do with it? You bitch, we got two kids and a mortgage. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm like, 
I'm pregnant and I'm emotional and I hate this and my life sucks and when it's obviously you my need to fault. Fix it. And are you working at this point, May, or are you taking care of the kids? Uh, no, I was, oh, let me think. You were working part-time. I was, I was working part-time. Yeah, because remember yes. you got IV Zofran at work that yeah. one time when you were. Yeah, I was working part-time. I've had some ins and outs along the way, but yeah, I was working then. So how did you work through that? Well, there was a couple things. I think, I think that there was a gigantic, there was an epiphany that May had earlier that made a huge difference in our marriage, but also definitely in, in her career, which was, again, she, she had expected me to make me, that I was supposed to make her happy. I mean, that, that was a, then that was a verbalized thing. You're supposed to make me happy. And I said, you know, look, here, here's the deal. You know, I'm not going to sleep with the neighbor, plus both of them are truck drivers, so, and they're male, so I'm not going to do that anyways, but, you know, I'm not going to sleep with the neighbor. I'll bring home money. I, you know, I won't leave you. I'll, whatever. But but happy is not my problem. You know, that's your problem. If you're not happy, that's your problem. And she read a book at that time called Finding God. And Larry Crabb wrote that. And his statement at the beginning was people come to me saying that they want to, you know, have a deeper spiritual experience. And really, they just don't want to feel like crap. And he said, you know, since when does, you know, from a Christian perspective, does finding God and being happy have anything to do with each other? He goes, I think that, you know, a deeper spiritual tie to God and so forth, ultimately you'll be happy, but happiness can't be the goal. And it really gave May permission to be unhappy. And, and then she went to Women's Quest, which is like kind of on the other extreme as far as, you know, it was all sports-based triathlon training. And she just got permission to like, A, not be a doctor and B, not be happy. And then like, holy cow, she was happy. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I was really confused into like it, it, trying to keep this whole psychological thing simple and succinct, but I'd never really, I had to work through a lot of stuff because yeah, from the moment I wanted to be a doctor when I was 10 till, you know, just being sort of that labeled in the expectations by family, mostly my mom and having all these other thoughts of, well, I want to do this, want to do that. I mean, it's like, no. You shouldn't do that because it's a waste of talent. And so having all through medical school, I mostly hated it. I wasn't sure that I wanted to do it, but yet there was these family pressures and it was really important to make uh, my mom, ha you know, not just happy, but not to have her lose sort of respect and faith in me. I mean, there's a lot of codependent issues there. But once I was a doctor and started off, I was actually started off in a place that was a really bad fit for me. I didn't have any good mentorship. And Tim was having a great time because he was in a different clinic. And I'm in a very small rural area with not a good mentor there at all. I was on my own and still not even sure if I liked this. So I didn't have a lot of support. And then, you know, years later, two kids, I've switched sort of places where I was working and it got a little better, but then two kids come along and I had never really thought I wanted to be a mom and hadn't worked through that either. Plus all the baggage of what did I really want to do with my life? And I still didn't know that I wanted to be a doctor and was, I was still angry and bitter and had all that. And I was looking for happiness somewhere else. I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's going to come from my spouse. It has to, because all these other things in my life that I thought was supposed to be the answer aren't. And, you know, then when Tim, when I just said, uh, when I was still unhappy with all of that, and I'm like, well, I'm unhappy and I can't live like this. You're not making me happy. And, and when he just said, it's not my job, 
the light bulb kind of hit me. I mean, it was like being hit over the head and, and like, Oh, and, and so when I read that book and I can't remember exactly how I found it or how I was, I really don't remember if I was looking for it. He said, someone suggested it, but it was so freeing to go. It's okay to be a unhappy to, to like, haven't figured it out yet. And it just was, it was so freeing to just be okay to feel unhappy for a while. And really it was that. And then figuring out how to really figure out May, who she was as a person and to start to explore avenues of things that I had without the threatened judgment, you know, cause I was living a, obviously far from home. We moved away, but just being free enough to like not let anyone else judge me for what I liked, what I wanted, where my value and worth was. And I started exploring that and getting to really know myself that my attitude changed my happiness factor, all that just totally changed. I mean, I was then enjoying being a mom. I was free to actually then gradually start to love medicine and all of that totally changed our, my, you know, our relationship got better. And I started to figure out who I was. So that is a whole big pile of baggage there that had to get worked through in order for everything else to work, for the marriage to be strong, for me to be a good mom, but also for me to enjoy my career. And for a while, it was it was hard for me to, to accept that, yeah, maybe, maybe I really don't like being a doctor, but I'm good at it. And just give it some time and some, you know, the right thing will come along some somehow. I guess I just had faith in that. And it was like, if it doesn't, then I'm free to quit, try something new. I don't know, go be an architect. I mean, I explored a lot of different things over the years, but always kind of came back to that because I found my niche. So there's a lot of struggles along the way, and that's okay. I mean, we're here to tell people that it doesn't, oh, it's not a rosy path. I mean, and really where you grow and 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 blossom is in the crap is in the is in the fertilizer of, of life i mean it's it's in those valleys where you really work stuff out and makes things stronger sounds corny but it's true well no it is true but if you don't if you don't have the same foundational beliefs as far as you know the marriage being bigger than either person that you know there's no threat of all of a sudden somebody leaving or whatever you know, that's what gives you the ability to forge ahead when, and, when it, when it, when you really feel like, I mean, at that time you felt like, yeah, I don't love you anymore. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. I mean, you got to get over your feelings. I mean, we and, made and it, it wasn't just then I had, we had another, I can't, I remember how many years into it. We went through another, I did rough patch and Tim sailing along thinking things are great. And for me, things came unraveled again. And it was another one. We need to sit down and have a talk because I don't think I can, stay in this relationship like this anymore because of this. And it was like, okay. But at this point, you know, I, I trusted him. I knew he wasn't going to run away. And I think he, at the, you know, when we have the conversation, trusted me enough to know that if I could share where, where my brain was going and how I was feeling and what it, what it meant to me to make things work, you know, just by having that trust in each other that we could, work it out. I mean, I, I said, I feel like I just want to end the marriage, but I'm not going to, but we need to, can we work on this? This is what I'm struggling with. Yeah. That, and that's it takes a lot of vulnerability to be able to do that. And it sure took well, time. Well, well, right. But what's the gravity with which that earth orbits? And, you know, people think that marriages are based on love. Well, I mean, as Christians, we're instructed to love our enemies and a sure shit aren't going to marry them. 
you know, yeah. um, I mean, and, and, and so. And love is, you know, the whole thing of you're always going to be, you know, love is just this feeling that I'm always going to have. And this, you know, you're dating and it's, you're on this emotional high and, it, you you know, there's that feeling inside, the fluttery butterflies, everything's happy and great. And as it should be, right, during that courtship phase, I mean, it should feel all great because there's times when, yes, it just, the real world kicks in and it gets ugly and that goes away. And then you think, oh, oh, well, this isn't normal. So I want out because I've lost that loving feeling. And, you know. Thank you, Righteous Brothers. Love is a, you know, it's a verb. I mean, it's well, like. Well, it is a verb. But the thing is, is that, that you have, there's something that the gravity with which a relationship orbits, especially a marriage, is trust. Yep. You can, you can fall out of love with somebody and still stay married to them and still be a great parent and try to figure out how to get back to, you know, where things are more mutually beneficial emotionally and all the rest of that. You can go through that rough patch. But if trust is broken, and I, you know, and I, and I get it, you don't 100% trust people in 100% of ways, you know, the, you, you know, so, you know, little things like, you know, how you spend money and all that, there's, you know, sometimes things where it's not necessarily 100% trustworthy. But if I go, I trust May with who she is, and she gets me enough, and, and that's reciprocated, then you know, you can be vulnerable enough to fix everything out you know, fix things up and get back to the love side. But when you base it on love, it, it's, you know, that like, that's the thing. Like I've had friends that have gone through terrible, horrible divorces. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course you got to get divorced. You're, you know, this person has done something that's completely violated trust and you're never going to trust them again. If that's the case, you can't be married, you yeah. know? And we never had anything. I mean, I can speak for myself. I never had anything that May ever did where I went, I don't trust this person. I might've said, yeah, you know, she bought a few extra shoes. <laughs> from Zappos or something like that. I think you're the shoe person. Well, I might be now. And she's like, where did that, where the hell did that fifth of vodka go? Yeah, and I'm like, right. in my tummy. So, I mean, you know, it's, you know, there's little, little stuff like that, which is just life. But, you know, as far as like her soul, I, you know, I always trusted that she wasn't going to just all of a sudden come, I was going to come home and like all her stuff was going to be gone. Like I, it never really ever crossed my mind, no matter what we went through. Yeah. And I, I mean, I totally agree with that. The, the big thing for me with the being the one, you know, having these two big t points in my life where it's like, I don't think I can be here anymore. All I had to do with me, May, my feelings, what I, you know, my Obviously. needs. Obviously. It was, it was. <laughs> and I'm going to say that, yeah, maybe I was unhappy about picking your socks off the floor for the a thousandth time. Or There's whatever. a lot of women but that would feel that was you, a privilege. You know, it's, it's, you pick your battles and but there's sometimes when you just can't be mature enough to figure that out and it's just like wham poor me i mean that's a lot of it and recognizing well this i can deal with this i can't i mean it was just at least being vulnerable and open enough to just tell them how i felt and we can talk about you know all that what's reasonable what's not what we can work on but there was just never an, a doubt that tim would have my back i could trust him with all my struggles and and that's how we work through through that even when i was feeling that way yeah i mean I, and i've had some you know I, i've definitely had some really dark periods you know just my you know moods bad you know staying in jobs way way longer i mean people talk about how you know endurance is really important i mean you know my passion was action sports and endurance sports i mean you know how far can how much pain can you inflict on yourself and still do it well, I would do that career-wise, which is just idiotic. Like, 
I don't know how many times, you know, I just get all depressed because, and then I'd change jobs and I'm like, oh, I feel good now. It's, you know, it wasn't a lack of Prozac. It's that you're working for assholes, you know? I mean, it's like, hello. And, and May, you know, was really good at, I mean, she'd say, look, you can't bitch about work anymore because I will never hear it. Well, because all you want to do is vent and you don't want to, you don't want to take any action because you're too scared. So like, you know, man up and do the right thing. And so here's the thing. When you're a doctor married to a doctor, the pro of it is you definitely understand what each other's going through. The con is you have that ability to dump on the other spouse because you know that they know what you're going through, right? So it's a plus minus because it's too easy to just go, well, they'll get it. And I'm just going to just dump all my stuff and have the you know verbal diarrhea and emotional diarrhea of the day. And you know now we're at the point where like the other day he came home and had a rough day and he just started venting because it was things went wrong and I let him and then I went okay you have to stop I don't want to hear anymore because you know now we're mature enough to know where it goes but I said okay you're done because now we have to take this to our next admin meeting meeting and this is what you need to do to, but I'm done being like the sounding block for this because I learned to draw my boundaries and vice versa so that's the pros and you know cons of being in this together as dual physician couples is sometimes you can't shut, you know, turn it off and your date nights turn into talking about work. And, you know, sometimes there's a place for that because it's fun, but that, yeah, there's sometimes it's just too much. So the other thing I was, you know, here we are talking on and on and on is the one cool thing about our relationship is we are very independent people. And I think that makes our marriage really strong and brings a lot to the table and makes it fun because we know who we are outside of the relationship too. So our, yes, you know, we're partners in this, but we both have a life outside of each other. And we actually, the thing that we cherish a lot is actually take the, our separate trips. We love traveling, but we do things apart from each other and we travel with our friends. And that is uh, one of the kind of pointers and tips, you know, the things that we do with regularity is actually something we do apart, which is allow each other. So I go with my girlfriend to Hawaii usually once a year. We have the girl trip. Love it. It's like a time for us to do our thing. Tim, he has usually his trip to Sturgis with the guys, the bikes, and they go off on their road trip and he escapes on his motorcycle. And that's his time. And it's Hell's Angels call cosplay <laughs> for doctors and lawyers. And and so, you know, it's fun because we know who we have something to bring back to the marriage and share. And everybody needs that. I mean Yeah, know, sitting on the you, sitting on I like sitting on the beach for about two hours. And like that whole doing nothing drives me completely right. crazy. And literally Sturgis would be May's version of hell. It's absolutely everything in the world that she hates. It's super crowded. It's super noisy. It's tons of bikers. Right. It's so I, I mean, we definitely have things we love to do together and you have to find because a lot of couples don't. And that's also a problem. But for us, I think it's equally as important for people to have something separate. And I know a lot of relationships where it's just all about the couple together. They never do anything apart. And I'm like, well, that's just as toxic as not be spending time together. So it, you need a balance. Well, we need a balance. Other people can do whatever they want. But I mean, for us, I, I mean, I, I can only imagine. I can only be around myself for so long. I can't imagine what it's like for you. 
You guys are amazing. You know, you just answered like all of my questions without me having to ask any of them. Yeah, well, just tell us to be quiet whenever you need to. Just say, shush, I need to ask you something important. Oh, no. No, that's perfect because, no, this was absolutely perfect. Like, I think you just described, like, you going through telling him, you're telling him, you know, I don't think I love you anymore, needing the permission to, to be unhappy, kind of seeking for this external happiness and finding it with inside and like going through all these hardships in your relationship and working through it. I feel like you kind of just described so many marriages, like most marriages. I mean, like some, and some of them divorced and some of them power through or, you know, get through it. Like, and maybe not all of them, like you were saying, you know, some people may just be infidels continuously and that wouldn't work, but wow. I mean, we all, I think we all start out in life seeking this external happiness and then we have to figure out our spouse can't provide that right i mean that that's big my i guess that's been my giant life lesson and totally has changed totally has changed my world 180 degrees because from where i started in medicine i mean from even in medicine to where i am now and loving my job my relationship i mean with my spouse my kids every, everything everything like for learning to love yourself and know your needs and is huge. I mean, if you don't, it really made a big difference it, for our kids. Yeah. I mean, I just like, we, we were talking about this cause our kids are gone and they're never, and they're not coming back. Our kids I mean, are, our kids will never live anywhere. I mean, we'll probably leave the Northwest in the next couple of years for a variety of reasons. Our daughter moved to Texas. She's never coming back. And our son is military. So he's going to live wherever he's told to live. And they're, quite independent. And the thing that always blew my mind kind of for generationally is they're workers. Like they work really hard. And I'm like, how, where, did they, where did they learn that? You know, cause they're the perceptions of their friends from their friends was, well, you know, they're, they get whatever they want because both their parents are doctors, which was clearly untrue, but they've always just been really hard workers. And I was super proud of that. And I guess like it, it, there was a few lessons that we gave, but you, I think it was just modeled. I mean, we worked hard. I always, you know, we take nice vacations and, you know, all those kind of things with them. But, you know, I, you know, May worked hard at work and then she worked, you know, hard at home. And I was, you know, I was gone a lot. I mean, you go to the lake, you put the boat in the water, you're just going to start water skiing. And then I have to go leave to deliver a baby. I mean, you get the picture that, you know, the reason you have the stuff that you have is because you're going to have to put in a tremendous amount of effort. And my, like our kids got that. I mean, early on, I mean, I would always tell them, I beat it into their head. I said, in the first real job you get where somebody writes you a check, I said, you figure out who wrote the check, who signed it, and you make yourself as valuable as you can to that person. If you please that person, you'll be that person. If you bitch about that person, you'll never advance. And, I, you know, I think they got that. Yeah, they must have. They did somehow. It's so fun. I mean, our kids are in their 20s, right? So all the things you think are impacting them and I'm, you're doing all this for your kid and this is going to change the, how, their lives and how they look at things. They don't remember that stuff. It's all, the, all these other funny things that you'd never think of that they tell you, at least that's what's happening to us. It's fascinating what impacted their lives. That really means a lot more to them or the, you know, we're all going to scar our kid in some way. I mean, we, you know that. And so I would think I would always think of things that would happen. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to be scarred for life from this. They don't remember it, but it's other things that you never really realize, and it sticks with them. And there's no way 
honestly around that other than doing your best. I mean, you do the best with what you can as a parent, right? I loved how you said earlier, this thing you did for your kids was you modeled constructive conflict, your whole marriage. Right. And honestly, you know, if you ask them now, we didn't have a lot of, we weren't like big bickering, yelling, arguing type of people, but they saw us have discussions, arguments, and there was a few blow ups, but they saw us work that out and nobody ran away. You know, yes, maybe we'd have to take an hour or a day apart from discussing it till I was the one that needed more time to sort through my feelings and thoughts about the whole thing. But they saw us come back together and work it out instead of, you know, deal with it in a negative way. And that's how we try to do things with them as well. So modeling that is important. But yeah, all the things you think that are going to, you think you're going to touch your kid and make a huge difference and the things that won't scar them. It's all a mishmash. Just forget about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Just have fun. Yeah, like the, It's clearly modeling. I mean, and you know, you're modeling stuff that you don't even know you're modeling, mm -hmm. you know, and good, good and bad. And you know, you get, you'll get that feedback in their twenties and thirties, but you're not going to get it when they're six. And, 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 and that's, you know, and then, you know, the whole thing of actions, not action, I wouldn't say actions speak louder than words, but actions really do matter. Kids see it. And we're kind of those people that, you know, a lot of people say it's not, it's not uh, quantity, it's quality. Well, we kind of call BS on some of that because we really think in our experience with our kids at quantity, I mean, that time matters, right? You can't get back time. And it's tough in what we do if, you know, both parents are working. But kids really appreciate, even sometimes it's just time where you not really feel like you're doing a lot. You might just be sitting together watching TV or being together at the grocery store. That's not really, is that really quality time? Well, I might not think so, but for the, yeah, but again, the it's, child, it's, you're with them through those just simple little things. What, what is the definition of quality time to a four-year-old? And the answer is I have no idea because exactly. I haven't been a four-year-old for 51 <laughs> years. And so that, you know, the, and that's the thing, right? Like kids smell, the kids spell love T-I-M-E. And, you know, like I think with my son, my son and I have a lot of similar interests. So that was quite easy. But I mean, the hours and hours I spent in a car driving him to hockey practice and driving back and forth to the mountain and skiing together and all the rest of that. And he can, they learn to trust your soul. They know you got their back. And I mean, that's a, that's a huge, huge deal, which is interesting because in, in how we think, you know, sense of humor wise and all that, our, my daughter and I are far more alike. Like we get all the inside jokes and we have to explain them to me and, and our son. We're so linear. Us two are linear thinkers and these guys are, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he does like upper level math in his head and, you know, doesn't get a dirty joke. I don't understand that. <laughs> anyway, that's our little tidbit about kids for what it's worth, I guess. I don't know. Oh, no, this is worth so much. But basically, you're telling me I have to wait like 20 to 30 more years to figure out all the, you know, what impact I've made on my children by my actions. But no, this is perfect, you guys. I'm going to have to have you come back on to talk about finances another time because I have used, I mean, this was just beautiful, though. I love it. I've gotten so much out of this. Oh, yeah, we, we, got, we got a whole package on that. We got a what whole not to do. Yeah, what we, to yeah, do. yeah, we can. Yeah, that's that's a whole other conversation on money. So tell my listeners, where can they find you? A couple places. BSFree.com is the website. Well, BSFreeMD. BSFreeMD.com. Wow, I really stepped in it there. BSFreeMD.com. And and then, of course, the uh, BSFreeMD podcast. Anywhere 
you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, etc. And we're getting into some pretty heavy stuff here lately. Like we've got our Docktails with Cocktails where we have a couple drinks and talk about funnier things. We did the Covidiot Awards last last week. Coming up is going to be stuff, patients say. Oh, and and they, they want to follow us also on social. We are on Facebook and Instagram at, at BS Free MD on both. And then I have a personal blog called The Doctor Next Door on Facebook and Instagram as well, where I share kind of some of my struggles with my migraine stuff, my fitness things I like, and just life and thoughts in general. So that's kind of all the places they can find us. Thanks for letting us share that. Oh, I loved it. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for coming on my show, Tim and May. Such a great show with doctors May and Tim Hindmarsh. Before we end, don't forget to reach out to MR Insurance Consultants, where their goal is to assist physicians in obtaining the most comprehensive coverage available to fit their unique situation. Reach out for both excellent and quality service at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash MR Insurance. such a wonderful episode thank you so much doctors may and tim hindmarsh for pretty much conducting the interview all on your own i barely had to ask you any questions and you gave us all of the answers pure gold so for the four big take-home points from doctors may and tim hindmarsh number one in a successful marriage their relationship is often bigger than either person And this can give you the energy to forge ahead. When we're feeling small or wrong or just not not adequate enough, we can remember that we are a team. We are working together. We do not have to give 200 or 300 or be at our all-time best for our relationship to continue to grow. Also, even though we may not always agree on every single decision or every single major life event or situation, that is okay. That is not a reason for your marriage to fail. Your marriage can still be successful because the marriage, the relationship itself is bigger than the sum of its parts. Number two, Tim tells us that God tells us to love our enemies, but I am not going to marry them, he says. God tells us to love our enemies, but he's not going to marry them. So although love is amazing and elevating, marriage is not just based on love because we can love our enemies who we're not going to marry. So what is marriage based on if it's not based on love? Tim suggests that we insert trust. Marriage is built on a foundation of friendship and trust. And then, of course, sprinkle in the love, the joy, the happiness, the mutual together team. Love that, Tim. Number three, the gravity with which your relationship orbits is trust. This was similar to number two. This this was the continuation. Although I do not always agree with my spouse, I do trust them 100%. Building a foundation of trust is of 
utmost importance in any relationship. You don't always have to agree. You don't always have to figure things out. But once the trust is broken, it's hard to get back on the road again. When the trust has been broken, it's important to pause and ask yourself, what is the root of the untrust? Was the trust broken because of something we both contributed to? Was this partially my responsibility or not? Will I be able to unconditionally love again or not? What do I envision our future relationship looking like? Knowing that even though trust, you feel like maybe trust has been broken, asking yourself those questions and going a little deeper, we can be vulnerable even to work through our issues and come back to love again instead of counting on love to always be there. Number four, it's getting through the hardships that makes or breaks a relationship. The easy stuff, the fun stuff, the honeymoon stuff, that doesn't matter. We can all have a good time, right? We can all go find somebody rando off the street and have a good time. We're all good at supporting our spouse through the good times. It becomes much more difficult and important to be supportive when the bad times roll in. And that is it. So beautiful. If you guys would like to take these questions and these and personalize these questions towards your relationship, take them deeper. If you're interested in tangible, actionable steps to build more trust, more love, add more romance back into your marriage, let me know. Find me, medicinemarriageandmoney.com. Sign up for a free 45-minute console call and I will help you. I will give you personalized, actionable steps to add more romance to your relationship. And I hope you walk away asking yourself, was I born at an early age? No, 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 just kidding, just kidding. That was, <laughs> that was how Tim, Tim opened. Okay. How do I model constructive conflict? Where am I looking for happiness? Could it be more freeing to stop looking for happiness and be okay with not being happy all the time, what would that look like? Is happiness always my goal? If so, and why? Do I give myself permission to be unhappy? That is it, my beautiful friends. I hope you fly away and spread love and trust and happiness and joy into this world. So much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.